0: I'm sure you have heard it said that God is love. You've heard it said God is life. You've heard it said sometimes God is dead. Challenging propositions, all. But what about this one? God is necessary. Necessary in the sense that he is demanded by human nature itself if we are fully to make sense of the world we live in, to know good from bad, to touch on the meaning of our own existence. Whether for you it's God of the Bible or a God that is a more abstract spirituality or a shared consciousness. In ages past, before uh, there was science, this necessity of God was in this regard unassailable. But what about today with all we know and how far we have come? Well, we think this has the makings of a debate, so let's have it. Yes or no to this statement, the more we evolve, the less we need God. I'm John Donvan. I am on stage with four superbly qualified debaters who will argue for and against that resolution. We are at the K Playhouse at Hunter College in New York where our live audience will choose the winner. As always, our debate goes in three rounds, and if all goes well, and I'm sure it will, civil discourse will win as well. I wanna remind people who have not yet voted, this is another chance you have for the next few minutes to cast your pre-debate vote. Go on a web browser on your phone to IQ2US.org forward slash vote. You will be presented with prompts that give you three options to vote for the motion, to vote against the motion, or to tell us that you are undecided, which is a perfectly reasonable starting position. And again, I'll remind you, it's the difference between the first And the second votes, the pre debate and the post debate votes, that determines our winner. Our motion is this the more we evolve, the less we need God. Let's meet our debaters. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome them again to the stage. And I I want to start with an introduction pairing two of the opponents, actually, Michael Shermer and Deepak Chopra, because they have something of a history of friendly rivalry. Michael Shermer, you're arguing for the motion. You're a New York Times bestselling author, the publisher of Skeptic Magazine. You teach skepticism 101 at Chapman University. Your second time on our stage. Welcome back. Thank you. Thanks very much. And turning champion. and and, (laughs) and, 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 and we did win last time. Deepak Chopra, you are arguing against the motion. You are an advocate for integration medicine, You have been described as one of the top 100 heroes and icons of the century by Time magazine. You have written more than 85 books, 85 books, translated into 43 languages, many, many, many of them bestsellers. And Deepak, you too, when you have faced off before on stage, uh, it's, been, it's happened before, but the very first time that you were physically on a stage, you said that this was not your first meeting. What did you say to
1: Michael at the time? We have met in many incarnations. <laughs> when I first met uh, Michael, I was an atheist, but then I realized I was God.
0: Oh, well, So it worked
1: out for me. And Michael, going back to you
0: on the other side, I, I, we, we heard that the two of you actually got together and meditated together.
2: So where, where, did, that, uh, where did you go on it, yes, that meditation? Yes, well, um, this was at the urging of my wife to um, give Deepak's worldview a, a, a first world try. And I have to say, I did feel much better after the weekend of meditating. Of course, it doesn't hurt to be in Carlsbad, California at the beach at a five-star resort getting (laughs) massages and drinking tea and doing yoga every day. If you're not feeling better, you're doing something wrong. (laughs) All right. All right, so the two of you are not here by any
0: means alone. You each have very strong partners on your side. Michael, please tell us, who is your teammate
2: on the four side? Well, Dr. Heather Berlin is uh, the perfect debate partner for me tonight because she studies consciousness from a, um, a, a neuroscience perspective. And, of course, Deepak's whole um, uh, interest is in consciousness, and they have very radically different views. So I thought it would be good to have somebody who uh, not only studies this professionally from a a purely neuroscience perspective, but also does some clinical work. All right.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, Heather Berlin. Heather, Michael just covered that you're a cognitive neuroscientist. You're also an assistant professor of psychiatry at Mount Sinai we got to thank you for something. You only signed on to do this debate last week. Uh, That was incredibly professional and incredibly daring on your part. We are thrilled to have you with us. Thank you for being in that seat. Heather, we we also heard uh, that your interest in neuroscience began when you were really little.
3: Yeah, no, that's true. I was um, five years old when I first came to the realization that I was going to die, which kind of freaked me out a bit. So I uh, asked my dad, Dad, you know, where do my thoughts come from and can I keep them when I die? And he said, they come from your brain. And I said, "Okay, how? And he said, actually, we don't know. And I said, well, what can I be when I grow up to figure that out? And he said, well, I guess a psychiatrist. Um, and so that sort of, from that moment on, it became my mission to try to understand where my thoughts come from, how my brain produces my consciousness, with the ultimate idea that perhaps I can keep my thoughts when I die. I still haven't found the answer for that, but it's been a quest my entire maybe life. Maybe it'll happen tonight. Maybe tonight. Maybe All right. Tonight. And
0: Deepak Chopra, on the opposing side, please tell us who your partner is in this debate. Well, I'm still trying to figure out who I am, so I exactly don't know who he is. Okay. Okay. Who he is is, ladies and gentlemen, Anoop Kumar. Anoop, thank you so much for joining us on Intelligence Squared. You are a board-certified emergency physician. You are author of the book Michelangelo's Medicine: How Redefining the Human Body Will Transform Health and Healthcare. Anup, we're curious about this. As an ER doctor, and your title almost refers to this, you get an opportunity, more opportunity than most of us, um, to to see the human body in a unique way. Um, uh, You get to see its functioning and its form and its fragility. What do you take Mm -hmm. away? What insight do you take away from that experience?
4: I take away that what we call life really doesn't have an opposite. The opposite of birth is death, and the opposite of death is birth. But life doesn't have an opposite.
0: Wow, fantastic. The room is held silent by that (laughs) sitting down. But I want to invite one more round of applause for you and for all of our debaters. And so to the debate, we move on to round one. Round one are opening statements by each debater in turn. They will be six minutes each. Speaking first for the motion, the more we evolve, the less we need God. Here is cognitive neuroscientist Heather Berlin.
3: Okay, so I'm gonna argue in support of the motion from several different angles, but first I'm gonna put my cards on the table and say I am not an atheist. I was raised Jewish, culturally more than religiously, but I still remain open to the possibility that there's some higher creative power in the universe, some benevolence that I can't quite comprehend that might deserve the name God. But remember, we're not here to debate whether God exists. We're here to debate whether God is becoming less needed as humanity evolves. And however we measure that need, whether it's a need for explanations, a need for comfort, or a feeling of belonging, or just to give us a higher sense of meaning or purpose, the answer is clear. The more we evolve, the less we need God. Now, I'm going to go through these various forms of need one by one, but first we should be clear what we mean by evolve. We're not talking about biological evolution or changes in gene frequency. We're talking about cultural evolution or just the development of humanity. And scientific progress over the past several hundred years has completely transformed our knowledge of how the world works. And each major scientific breakthrough has had to overturn some religious dogma, right? So we've gone from believing in special creation to an understanding of how all living things descend from a single common ancestor by blind trial and error process, natural selection. We've gone from believing that God placed the earth in the center of creation to an understanding that we inhabit a tiny blue dot in a vast cosmos with 100 billion galaxies. We've gone from believing that diseases were curses caused by evil spirits and bad karma to an understanding of the deep mechanisms of disease at the cellular and molecular level. But we still live in a world where people reject life-saving medicine on religious grounds. Just the other day there was a news story about a two-year-old boy who died because his parents chose prayer over medical treatment. So the more our understanding evolves, the less we need God. Now using God to explain natural phenomena is an argument known as God of the gaps. Throughout history, if there was a gap in our understanding, it was by default to say God must explain it. But the more science illuminates our world and gives us a real understanding, the fewer gaps are left for God to inhabit. So when you hear from our opponents, be vigilant, They might tell you that the materialistic science can only explain so much, but we still need God beyond the limits of our understanding. That's a God of the gaps argument. Just because science can't explain something yet, it doesn't logically follow that God wins by default. And if God is just another name for scientific ignorance, that's hardly a God worth celebrating. Now, in my own field, neuroscience, 350 years ago, René Descartes, had argued that our perceptions had to be accurate because God would never deceive us. And our brains were made of physical mechanisms, but our conscious minds are an immaterial essence, a spirit that interacts with the physical brain through the pineal gland. But today, neuroscience is revealing that Descartes was wrong. Our perceptions are biased and inaccurate, which may explain the persistence of supernatural beliefs. And consciousness doesn't interact with the brain. Consciousness is what the brain does. And there's no reason to believe that consciousness existed before brains existed. Now, some people think they've experienced God directly, with or without drugs. But... (laughs) Neuroscientists can now induce religious or transcendental experiences by stimulating specific brain areas with powerful magnets, giving people out-of-body experiences and sensation with oneness with the universe, not to mention hallucinations that would rival the book of Revelations. So the more our understanding of the brain evolves, the less we need God. And evolutionary and cognitive psychology are also helping to explain the origins of our need for God, for comfort, morality, sense of belonging, And why that need is diminishing. Religions traditionally provided a space for communal activities, a sense of trust among in-group members, and a disincentive to free riders. So belief in God has done a lot of good throughout history. But our modern societies now provide laws and social safety nets to help us when we fall and to disincentivize bad behavior. And our social reputations are online now. I mean, when it comes to people like Harvey Weinstein, I'd say that public shaming, social rejection, and criminal charges carry a lot more weight than the fear of hell. I mean, after all, he didn't hire priests for redemption. He hired lawyers and publicists. (laughs) And the very existence of countries like Denmark and Sweden, majority atheist countries that are high-functioning and relatively free from suffering, tells us that Living without God is fully compatible with human psychology, as long as the need to make sense of the world is satisfied by science and our need to belong is satisfied by our social networks and communities. So the more our societies evolve, the less we need God. Of course, for many people, life is not as comfortable as it is for those Scandinavians, and God is a source of comfort for those who are suffering or who have lost loved ones or who are stricken by poverty or disease, and I get that. But if we're determined to work together to alleviate poverty... Disease and suffering, and make people happier in this world. And if we're aware of the fact that people tend, on average, to turn to God less often when they feel safer, happier, healthier, and more stable, then we have to admit that the motion is correct. The more we evolve, the less we need God. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Heather Berlin. And that is the resolution the more we evolve, the less we need God. And here to make his opening statement against the motion, Deepak Chopra, integrative medicine advocate and founder of the Chopra
1: Foundation, Deepak Chopra. Thank you. Thank you. So I, of course, request you to vote against the motion. When I use the word God, or all of us who are in practices like meditation, self-reflection, awareness of body, awareness of mind, awareness of mental space, awareness of the web of relationship. When we speak or practice yoga, when we speak of God, we are not talking about an imagined deity. Um, We're talking about the consciousness in which all experience occurs. And we are defining consciousness in very precise ways. So one way to think of consciousness is that which makes any experience possible. The experience of sensations, images, feelings, thoughts, perceptions, the experience of your body, the experience of your mind, this experience. So consciousness is that in which all experience occurs. Consciousness is that in which all experience is known. And consciousness is that out of which all experience is made. All experience is made out of consciousness. In the wisdom traditions that I come from, therefore, consciousness is the immeasurable potential for every mode of knowing and experience in all living beings. So, right now, we are having a human experience. This is a human experience, this is not a, the experience of a crocodile or an insect with multiple eyes, or a snake that knows only infrared, or a bat that moves or navigates through the echo of ultrasound. This is a human experience in human consciousness. But consciousness is more than human consciousness. Consciousness is the basis of experience in every sentient being, in every living species. What their subjective experiences is, is unknown to us, subjectively, probably unknowable. So consciousness, or God, is all knowers, all modes of knowing, and all experiences known. Consciousness is invisible. Why? Because it has no form. But without consciousness, there's no experience of that which we call visible. Consciousness is beyond perception. Why, again? Because it's formless, it's boundless, it has no boundaries, it has no material structure to it, so it's inconceivable. And yet, without it, there's no possibility of any concept. You cannot imagine consciousness, you can't imagine God, because if you imagine God, then it's not God. The infinite cannot be imagined. But without consciousness, there is no imagination. So, my dear friends, in every act of perception, right now, as you see, as you hear, as you sense your body, in every act of perception, consciousness as God is creating the experience of the universe for you right this moment. Right this moment. Consciousness and God... Similar, I'm using the words uh, synonymously. Consciousness is the only invariant in every changing experience. If you think you are your body, then you have to question that because your body is not a noun, it's a verb. It's been changing since the time you were a zygote, an embryo, a baby, a toddler, and who you are right now. So in every act of perception, including that of your body, including in every act of cognition, including the experience of your mind, God is creating the experience of the universe through you. When we transcend to this level, which is the source of thought, through contemplative practices, through yoga, when we transcend to this level of existence, then automatically, automatically, because we feel the unity of existence, the inseparability of existence, automatically there's the emergence of Platonic values like truth, goodness, beauty, harmony, love, compassion, joy, equanimity. There is also the loss of the fear of death because consciousness being formless is not subject to birth and death, exactly what you said. Uh, birth and death are opposite, but life is the continuum of birth and death. So by knowing ourselves as consciousness, we get to the source of all experience in every species that we call God. Right now, in this awareness, we are having this particular experience. If consciousness is God, then we need consciousness to evolve. Why? Because as Heather said, Right now, we are not talking about biological evolution. We are talking about what I would call meta-biological evolution, the evolution of our consciousness and ultimately the evolution of the consciousness of our consciousness because the key to consciousness is self-awareness. God is our highest instinct to know ourselves. Thank you very much. Thank you, Deepak Chopra. And a reminder of what's going on, we
0: are halfway through the opening round of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate. I'm John Donvan. We have four debaters, two teams of two, fighting it out over this motion, the more we evolve, the less we need God. You have heard the first two opening statements, and now on to the third, making his way to the lectern and to debate for the motion. Here is Michael Shermer, publisher of Skeptic
2: Magazine. Ladies and gentlemen, Michael Shermer. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. The uh, resolution that the more we evolve, the less we need God, I think, is uh, supported overwhelmingly by evidence from three lines of inquiry, evolutionary theory, um, history, and the social sciences. Now, so first, John mentioned uh, a synonym for, for need or, or necessary. God is necessary. Necessary for what? Uh, I contend that our, our starting point is the survival and flourishing of sentient beings, that's us, and other animals. Um, and the central problem with group living, we're a social primate species, the central problem with group living is trying to figure out how to get selfish genes that build these survival machines that uh, just want to have maximize their own utility or, or benefits to cooperate with other uh, survival machines built by selfish genes. And the problem is, is uh, figuring out how do we tilt the incentives or, or create a choice architecture to get people to be nudged toward uh, increasing or attenuating, sorry, accentuating their, their better angels and, and squashing down or, 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 or lowering our, our, our inner demons. So there's this co- constant conflict between our inner demons and our better angels. And so when we began to coalesce from these tiny bands and tribes of hunter-gatherers into these giant uh, chiefdoms and states around 10,000 years ago, this was the central tension. How do we do this? So the two tools or technologies that evolved to do this were uh, God and government. So government basically gives everybody a copy of the rules and says, these are the do's and don'ts, and here's the penalties if if you violate them. Of course, there's not not sophisticated police systems at the time. So people got away with it. But you don't really get away with it because there's an eye in the sky that sees all and knows all that you're doing and can impose punishments in the next life. So this is God or religion. So for thousands of years, it was kind of a toss-up between uh, anarchy of having no uh, state or government or organization, and tyranny, having either oppressive governments or religions uh, oppressing their people. And, uh, but something, history, then evolved that uh, about four centuries ago, the scientific revolution discovered that the universe is knowable and that it's governed by natural laws that we can discover and understand beginning with the physical sciences, Galileo and Newton, uh, into the biological sciences and medicine, all the way to the social sciences. And so in the Enlightenment, uh, there developed a number of theories about how best we should live with one another. So there was an attempt, essentially, to create the, find the Newton of, of the social sciences. How best should we live? And, uh, and that led to pretty much most of the moral progress we've made over the last several centuries. That is to say, the abolition of slavery and torture, the death penalty, the increase in civil liberties and civil rights, the expansion of the moral sphere, the bending of the moral arc, if you will, toward greater justice for more people in more places, more of the time, I argue, has primarily been the result of science and reason and these enlightenment values like natural rights, uh, not the function of religion or belief in God. In fact, I would argue that with a few exceptions, that almost all the progress has been the result of secular forces uh, that is justifying why you're making cer- certain social changes or passing laws based on reasons, good reasons and evidence, rather than appealing to a higher supernatural power. The problem with religion uh, is that the greater um, the universe uh, has set down many uh, different rules of how we should live together, and there's no means to determine which is the right one. There's nothing in religion, uh, there's no methodology in religion comparable to science, which we say, let's run an experiment and see which one is the best, which one most closely matches reality. And I'm not just talking about physics and and biology, I'm talking about social sciences. We have 50 different states with 50 different state constitutions and 50 different sets of laws, say, gun control laws or tax laws. You can study those and, and determine which is the best set of methods we should use. Religion has nothing like that. The problem with religion is that Uh, It's more of a sort of group cohesiveness uh, method that drives people to be more tribal and xenophobic. Uh, And then finally, in in my third line of inquiry on the social sciences, um, I'll I'll cite this one study among many uh, by Gregory Paul of uh, correlating the, the differences between rates of religiosity, belief in God, biblical literalism, belief in the afterlife, and heaven and hell in 20 different uh, leading democracies in the Western world as a function of their societal health. Societal health is measured by rates of homicides, suicides, STDs, abortions, teen births, marriage, divorce, alcohol consumption, life satisfaction, corruption, uh, indices, adjusted per capita income, income inequality, poverty, employment levels, incarceration, life expectancy, and so on. Well, you can't believe this, but it turns out that the higher the rates of religiosity in a nation, the more people believe in God in a nation, the worse they score on these uh, indices of societal health. And America stands out by far with no one even a close second as the most religious of the Western democracies and the worst on all of these. We have the highest homicide rates, suicide rates, teen STD rates, pregnancy rates and so on, income inequality and, and alcohol consumption, life satisfaction, employment levels, and on and on and on. Now, I'm not saying that those things have, are caused by religion, but if religion and belief in God is such a great force for m- driving moral progress, how come it fails so abysmally here and every other nation where religiosity and belief in God is high? Therefore, I urge you to vote for our side, that the more we evolve, the less we need God. Thank you. Thank you, Michael Shermer.
0: Again, that is the resolution. The more we evolve, the less we need God. And our final debater who will be speaking against the motion, Anup Kumar. He is an emergency physician and author of Michelangelo's Medicine. Ladies and gentlemen, Anoop Kumar.
4: What if this world we're experiencing is a mental experience and not primarily physical? What if what we call the mind isn't just in here, but it's all this? And what if you and I are experiences in this vast mind? What I'd like to do is challenge the story we've all been taught since we were kids. I'd like to challenge the notion of what we are, what all of us are, and what this world is what it's made of. Max Planck, a Nobel Prize-winning physicist, said, I regard consciousness as fundamental. I regard matter as derivative from consciousness. He didn't mince words. And what he's saying is something all of us experience when we dream, that the universe is entirely mental, Now, I'm not saying that this is a dream. What I'm saying is that whatever this is made of, whatever this is made of, it's the same stuff that a dream is made of, namely consciousness. And when we look at it through different frames of mind, we perceive it differently as mental or physical or however we may describe it, information, energy. You've heard all of these descriptions. Consciousness is primary. And what we call Matter is an experience in our consciousness. So this hand feels really firm and solid and physical. I would describe it as physical. And if this were a dream, it would still feel firm and solid, and I would still call it physical. And yet we know that it would be made entirely out of consciousness. Now, if consciousness is primary, it's also infinite simply because all experiences would be in consciousness. So the space that appears to separate us right now is an experience, it's a projection. In a dream, I can take a space shuttle from Cape Canaveral all the way to the moon and come back home, and I would cover half a million miles of vast space. And yet, with the shift in consciousness, that's what we call waking up in the morning, a shift in consciousness, with that shift, the very same space is reconceived as a projection. And I submit to you the same is happening right now. Nobody has ever perceived anything outside of consciousness. That means every experience, including space and time, is in consciousness. So history, philosophy, music, art, literature, you name it, it's in consciousness. With that context, let's attend to the motion specifically. Not only is consciousness infinite, but the infinite has always been the ultimate description of what we call God. The more common notions, the more familiar notions, and all the notions that were spoken about by the opposing team, they are aspects of God. So there's infinity, but then we talk about infinite wisdom, infinite compassion, infinite mercy, infinite understanding. These are aspects of infinity. And this infinity shows up not only in religion, but it shows up in mathematics and in philosophy as different aspects, different approaches. So the ultimate God of religion, not the different forms of gods, not the particular names of gods, which are the varieties we see that depend on the human mind that conceives them, but the ultimate God, the verse, that infinity, that shows up in mathematics as infinity. It shows up in philosophy as truth. It shows up in science as the reality behind science. It shows up in all experience, in every experience, as consciousness. Each of these is a unique perspective, and therefore each has unique data to contribute about something that's beyond all concepts. The more we evolve, the more we see the infinite Underlying nature of all things. Call it religious, call it spiritual, call it secular, or simply the practical experience of knowing ourselves and each other more deeply. So let me ask you do we need to understand ourselves more deeply? Do we need to understand each other a little better? And do we need to understand this crazy, inexplicable world better? If your answer is yes, then I urge you to vote against the motion. Because the more we evolve, the more we need to understand the infinite. Thank you, Anuf Kumar. And that concludes round one of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate,
0: where our motion is, the more we evolve, the less we need God. Now we move on to round two. And in round two, the debaters take questions from me, And from you, our live audience here at the K Playhouse in New York City. In round two, we have uh, two, or uh, rather in round one, we heard the two teams lay out arguments, Michael Shermer and Heather Berlin, who are arguing for the motion. They made the point right off that they are not debating for or against the existence of God. That's not what this debate is about, and they are correct about that. Rather, we are arguing Uh, whether God is necessary. Michael Shermer lays out necessary for what? Necessary, he says, for the flourishing of sentient beings. His partner, Heather Berlin, talking about necessary for uh, endowing humans with comfort, with meaning, with purpose. But they point out that belief in God, uh, while it has eroded uh, in general, particularly in Western society that scientific breakthroughs have overturned religious dogma, that while that's been happening, the course of justice has been, the course of morality has been bending more towards justice. They explain uh, the, the use of God to explain things that cannot be seen, including the infinite, as God of the gaps. And as they say, the gaps are getting smaller and smaller the more that science learns. The team arguing against the motion, Deepak Chopra and Anup Kumar, um, they laid out a kind of physics or metaphysics that may not be familiar to everyone uh, in our audience and in our listening audience, in which they made a clear case that they are not arguing for any, as uh, Deepak said, any of the imagined deities, Rather, they are arguing for a sense of consciousness. And this consciousness, as they describe it, is that in which all experience occurs, including potential experience. Consciousness is all modes of knowing and all that might be known. As for the question of necessity, um, Anoop pointed out that the more we evolve, the more we need to understand the sense of the infinite because our sense of the infinite is growing more and more all of the time. So I, I think there might be a little bit of a sense um, between the two teams that they're they're, talk, they're going like this. I don't actually think that that's entirely the case because what we're trying to land is this question of necessity. When is God necessary or not? God is defined by both sides. And I think that we can proceed on that basis. But I, to, I want to start with you, Deepak, because I heard from Anup, I, I heard him use the word necessity and needed. In the, in, towards the latter part of his opening statement. I didn't hear it from you. So your sense of, co- of this consciousness needed how and keeping in light also your opponent's very clear-cut material uh, and I uh, might say finite descriptions of what ne- necessity is.
1: So my friend Michael, whom I refer to as uh, Angel Michael, the <laughs> uh, apostle for scientism, uh, Sight, science, all the time. Sight, <laughs> science. But science is an activity in consciousness. Experiments are conceived in consciousness. I, I it, just want to encourage you actually to speak out to the Experiments folks. are designed in consciousness. Theories are conceived in consciousness. Observations are made in consciousness. You can't do science without consciousness. Even the trying to understand consciousness is in consciousness. As Max Planck said, you can't get behind consciousness. To create artificial intelligence, augmented reality, you name it, to understand the microbiome, to understand your own biology, you need consciousness to do science, to create technologies, to do philosophy. All systems of thought, all systems of thought, whether they're religion, or philosophy, or science, or theology, require consciousness. So consciousness gives rise to systems of thought which then give us a certain interpretation of reality. Okay, but let me, that let me, reality let me, is impossible without me,
0: consciousness. Okay, so you've, you've laid out the necessity and I want to take it to, um, to Heather Berlin. Interestingly, I heard your opponent say that um, the human brain exists in consciousness and you are arguing that consciousness exists in the human brain. Um, which yes. certainly flips things in the other direction. But your response to, to the uh, to the argument that Deepak just made—that without consciousness, there's nothing.
3: So I mean, the way we experience the world that we find ourselves in is is via first person subjective experience, which we'll call consciousness. Right. That's how. Yes, we come up with the laws of science, and it's subjective. Right. Only I know my own consciousness. I don't know anybody else's. Um, We know that we can knock it out in patients. You lesion certain parts of the brain. They can experience nothing. When you're in a deep, dreamless sleep, you're not experiencing anything. Um, We can map out. We can make correlation between consciousness and the brain. Um, However, and this is something since I was five, I've wanted there to be consciousness outside of the brain. I've been looking for it. I've been trying to find any bit of evidence for it. Okay? And you can't trust your own experience because... It's subjective, right? The way that we can understand reality in the most objective way that we've discovered is through the scientific method. But so, what I'm really curious and what I can't get my mind around is where they're coming up with these proclamations of knowing that consciousness exists outside of the material world, and then calling that God. I mean, to me, it seems a bit just like a, a fairy tale. I can say, I can also make a proclamation about consciousness and what it is, but without any evidence, I, I don't understand how they're coming to these conclusions. Well,
4: let's bring it to Anup then. Where's your proof? So you say. <laughs> On one hand, you say you can't trust your experience. But let me ask anybody, is there anything you know more than you were aware? You exist. You can say, I exist. I'm here. That's consciousness, right? Before I create a theory, a conceptual theory, that no, actually the brain produces consciousness. That's theoretical. But the first thing I know is I'm here or I'm alive. Consciousness is the first thing we know, and everything else is secondary to that. When we say that the brain produces consciousness, we're already implying dualism, because we're saying as if there's something physical first, and then in that we're experiencing something that's mental. Whereas in fact, even the experience of physicality is already mental. In other words, the mind is the primary organ of experience, and the brain is a representation of the mind. To know that, you don't have to go any, any further than your own experience. I exist, I'm here, I'm consciousness. Okay, and now I experience a brain. The brain is an experience in consciousness. To even say that the brain comes first still requires consciousness first, whether you say it or not. Heather?
3: To say that consciousness is God is also just a subjective kind of thing that you're creating by your experience, right? You're you're using your subjectivity to make the claim that consciousness is God. So I don't don't understand where the evidence for that is.
4: Well, so Go ahead. So what I'm saying is that there are many different definitions of God. So if you look at the different religions, everybody will have a different name or a different idol or a different concept. What we are defining as God, and we've made this clear, is we're speaking of that which is infinite, of which the parts are the different names. So I'm, we're defining as that to begin with, as God is that ultimate, which, toward which we're always evolving by the mind becoming more and more subtle and thereby going beyond our progressive boundaries.
0: Normally I like to go to the back and forth, but I actually want to hear from Deepak on this. Um, I, I have a question for you, Art. Are you asserting that this infinite that you're speaking of at this point is larger than can be
1: known by science at this point? Well, science, as I said, is an activity in consciousness. What Heather calls the objective world is an intersubjective experience in human consciousness. Before I can call this an object, it's a shape, it's a color, it's a form— as an experience. When I call it an object, I reify that experience in consciousness and create a human construct that this is a glass and this is water. That's the interpretation of experience. Before you can name something as an object, you first have to experience it. So, you know, Descartes said, I think I am, he was wrong. I am, therefore I think. I am, therefore I perceive. And when I say perceive, I mean also perceive this, this body, those bodies, and all these bodies. So, before you can name an object, it has to be an experience, a subjective experience. And that's where the necessity, the issue of necessity, That's, that's the conscious. necessity. And okay, now I want to yeah, without oh, sure. having the experience, how
0: can you call anything an object?
1: Michael, I don't have a specific
0: question for you. There are lots been said. I'd like you to just e- respond to. E- it.
2: Yeah, I think I figured out what's going on here after the. Uh, <laughs> Michael, after all. After goes, my experiences <laughs> at Deepak Center and there, there was no illegal drugs or even legal <laughs> drugs involved. Um, so in, in, I wrote a chapter in my, my, my latest book about Deepak. And, I, and so I make a distinction there between the weak consciousness principle and the strong consciousness principle. So the weak consciousness principle is that in order to experience consciousness, you have to be conscious. In order to experience something, you have to be alive and experiencing. And, and it's something that's Well, it's what Dan Dennett calls a deepity. It's it's like it sounds deep until you think about it for a second. You go, well, yeah, obviously. Uh, You know, it's like imagining imagine being dead. You can't do it because to imagine something, you have to be alive. Okay, so, but what they're what they're arguing is something stronger than that. The strong consciousness principle that consciousness brings about if I understand you correctly, Deepak, brings about the physical uh, instantiation of our brains and bodies, that the consciousness is primary, it's already there, and we're just a temporary hold or instantiation of consciousness in a physical body. Could you pause one second, and I just want to
0: yes or no so he can continue. Does he, did he, is he kind of nailing what it is you're describing? No, no. Okay, I'll come
2: back. <laughs> uh, okay, can, keep going, Michael. Keep going. Well... <laughs> I, I mean, we, 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 to, to get the ultimate answer, which worldview is correct, we need to have some way to test it, to experiment with it. How do we know? I mean, if you just say, what's well, my internal experience and your internal experience and, and, and we'll never get anywhere, then, 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 then it's a late night conversation and it's fun, but that's it. Can we do better than that? And and, and yes, we know from neuroscience, for example, that you can, as Heather mentioned, knock out parts of the brain. And the function, the mind, the consciousness, whatever word you want to use, that was doing whatever it was doing there is gone. And it's gone forever. Alzheimer's, when Aunt Millie's brain dies from Alzheimer's, the memories disappear. They're not going anywhere. They're just gone because the brain tissue is gone. So no brain, no mind. The mind isn't anywhere without the brain. All right, Anup, I want to, so I, I, I'm, I, I think we
0: stipulate that your, your definition of God, is your, your claim to necessity is somewhat definitional, that there can't be anything unless this consciousness you're talking about is real and exists. But I want to go beyond definitional to some, some of the more pragmatic points that your opponents made. Um, and and they're, they're saying, for example, you don't need a concept of God, however defined, as much as once one once did, this is where the evolution part comes in. Evolving as a society and as a species. Um, um, thanks to, to science and reason and enlightenment, we're getting away from superstitious, um, uh, wrong practices, and, and, ha- and, and, and f- discovering through the use of reason and logic and research a better sense of what's right and wrong. You don't need God. You don't need your God
4: to know right and wrong. What's your response to that? Two responses. One is that even to differentiate right and wrong, remember we're talking about God as consciousness. How are you going to know what's right and wrong if you're not conscious? Without consciousness, how do you? even know But that's know not the question. But right we're conceding,
0: for the moment, we're going with your your explanation of consciousness. Mm-hmm.
4: Their point is, you don't need that to know right and wrong. So we're defining evolution here as a particular understanding of right and a partic- particular yeah. understanding of wrong. What I'm saying is that as our minds become more subtle we become more fine-tuned in differentiating what is right. After all, do we really know what's right and wrong? And if so, why, is it, why isn't it manifesting in the world today? Well, the answer to that is because it depends on each of our minds. So as the mind becomes more subtle, as it becomes more, more perceptive, then our very notions of right and wrong become more refined. And in that way, that's, that mind becoming more subtle is a process in consciousness. So by becoming aware of that more and more, our ideas of right and wrong become refined. And that's exactly why we need that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Heather. So
3: there's lots of experiments which show that morality, in babies even, they're more likely to choose a good puppet over a bad puppet if they watch it do something bad or good. Um, and, and we can also see that if you get a huge lesion to the prefrontal cortex, people can be, be, become unethical and lose their sense of morality. We know it's tied to brain development and brain function. Um, you know, and they talk a lot about this deep understanding and the infinite and you know, places where we can get to via meditation or spiritual practices. Um, you don't, you don't need a God for that or traditional God. Um, you can get to deep understanding. They're all different brain states. We can manipulate them in the lab. We can talk to people and have them get an appreciation and a deep understanding. That doesn't mean that you then get to call that God. So I still don't, you know, I don't see that connection. Um, And so all these needs, we need compassion and love and understanding and morality. But again, of course, we don't experience them without consciousness. That's how we experience the world. But I think what you're saying is that if we didn't have consciousness, if we didn't exist, the world wouldn't exist. Because matter only exists via consciousness. So is that true? If none of us were here, if none of us were experiencing the world, it wouldn't exist?
1: Deepak. (laughs) That which we call mind, that which we call body, that which we call brain, that which we call the universe are human constructs, human ideas for modes of knowing and experience in human consciousness. Does that make sense to you guys? In the deeper reality, there is no body. Can we there do a show of hands? There no is I, I just, I'm
0: just. I just it, it was a rhetorical question, but okay. I'm actually, how
1: many people understand th- what th- I, those who just understand
0: raise your hands or, or clap raise. so that the audience listening he can hear you. So, th- and those, we, those who need a little, t- a little more explanation, what we call mind. My- I just want to hear the other
1: side.
2: Okay. <laughs> okay.
1: <laughs> All there is is God. All there is is consciousness experiencing itself in infinite modes of knowing and experience through every sentient being. As humans, we create constructs, mind, body, brain, universe. The, you know, if I asked you this, what's a glass of water? You'd say, what's this? It's a hand. What's this? It's a shirt. Well, does a baby know that? A baby experiences shape, color, sound, texture, smell which are activities of consciousness in consciousness and then you say okay there's a god this is you this you're an american you're male you're um, uh, catholic or jewish or hindu you're screwed for the rest of your life you don't but need me, but... belief for god belief is a cover up for insecurity all belief is a cover-up for insecurity.
2: Well, and I have a lot of insecurities, okay. apparently. So
1: <laughs> what you have to do is go beyond all mental constructs. You know, I found this uh, beautiful quote by Freeman Dyson. He, he, because, you know, I was thinking atheism, theism are just mental ideas in human consciousness. Okay, atheism, theism are mental ideas. Freeman Dyson says, God is what mind becomes when it crosses the scale of our comprehension. Let's Michael Shermer respond.
2: That's a God of the Gaps argument. That's just saying, that there I can't is understand only it. the
1: gap, Here's Michael. This. this is the interruption in the gap. Yeah, well, okay, so. But the, the, mo- gap, the, the, the moon, gap, moon still you have exists to go whether to I'm conscious of it or not. You have to go
2: to the gap to experience a Deepak, thought. Deepak, Deepak. Wait, well, let, let me, me just let me, ask let you. Let, let me, me sort this out
0: because Deepak, I gave you a uh, long run. Let, okay, so, let, run so let's
2: experience. just do our thought experiment here. Okay, so, so the, the asteroid hits the, the, the Earth and, and all sentient beings, all conscious life is wiped out on Earth. Does, is the moon still there? Is, is the Andromeda galaxy still there? Is stuff still in the universe? The
1: moon as we know it is a human experience in human consciousness.
2: I rest my case.
1: <laughs> so let, let me answer that. Let me let it, let, I want to hear from a new people.
4: Let me answer that. So th- there's a misinterpretation happening here, and that's that when we're saying that consciousness is fundamental, I think the interpretation, and you guys let me know if it's right or wrong, is that it's my consciousness that's fundamental. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying it's mine or Deepak's or Heather's or Michael's or any one person's consciousness that's fundamental. I'm saying that the very nature of this is consciousness meaning that it's not limited to me i have a very limited understanding right i'm a i'm an individual human being so what i know is limited but what i'm saying is whatever this is made of the very stuff this is made of just like in a dream in a dream a character can die does the world go away no but it doesn't mean that that world is not made of consciousness it's an impersonal consciousness And the separation between that personal consciousness of the character in the dream and the rest of the dream, like, for example, this hall, is in the mind. That's the difference. It's not mine or your consciousness. I'm saying that the consciousness is impersonal. conscious.
2: Is this conscious?
4: It's
0: an
1: experience no. in consciousness.
2: Right, exactly. I'm I want to
0: interrupt for, to do a little bit of business. I want to talk to people who are watching by live stream and listening. Tonight's debate is being broadcast worldwide on our website, IQ2US.org and on Facebook Live. And if you're watching the live stream, we would love to hear from you too. You can send us your questions on Twitter or on Facebook with the hashtag IQ2USLive. That's so that we don't miss it. And be sure to include your city and your state and a first name that I would not be embarrassed to read out loud. Um, so um, I, I want to we're, we're, we're wandering off the motion language uh, to the degree that we're, we're really arguing uh, competing senses of physics and metaphysics. And I just want to get back for a moment to this issue of necessity and the argument that was made for the side that's actually proposing that the more we evolve, the less we need God. And one of their arguments was that... Um, Secularization of thought and process has actually led to better human behavior over the course of time. They're talking about ending of slavery, the civil rights movement, that the, that the, the, uh, the, the, the kind of thinking in th- of things beyond what can be seen and measured and touched has been dangerous and damaging. And that the more that that has been challenged, the better we've become as a species uh, let me bring it to... Deepak, you raised... You, I, I'm, I'm calling on Deepak because he explained he does not like to interrupt, so he's going to raise his hand when he wants to speak, which I'm fine with. So it's your turn, so why don't you go for it?
1: The necessity for God is the fact that we can't do anything without experience. And all experience is in the mind, and the mind is an activity in consciousness. What we call matter is the interpretation of an experience in consciousness, matter is a concept. But you, but I, I, I'm sorry to interrupt. You've said that a, a bunch of times mm-hmm. already, and I want to
0: ask you to address the question. And maybe Anup will want to. Well, take the it. question, the address is with how, how can we have this experience? Well, maybe you can help people understand if you come to the materi- to this uh, clash so, of these issues. One before thing before I would you.
4: say is that I would agree that if I'm going to call religion, if I'm going to say that you have to believe in my version of God, and, and I put this name. This is the name you have to believe in. And by the way, don't investigate that. Don't, don't figure it out yourself. Don't go into the deeper aspects of religion, such as metafi- metaphysical inquiry, but just, just believe it blindly. I would agree. That is bad. And time you believe in something like that, no matter what field it's in, that's going to lead to problems. So I think any overthrowing of that version of what God is, is good. I think that's beneficial for, for society, and I would agree with you there. But if you look... That's not what we're talking about. I'm not saying believe in my God. I'm not saying believe in anything. I'm saying here's a hypothesis. Now we can live our lives as experiments and figuring it out. So I'm not talking about just pure belief. If you look at the core of any religion, you will come to spirituality when they start to sound all sound the same. The names will go away. The uh, blind beliefs will go away, and we'll start getting into investigation. So we are talking about an investigative process. It's just a direct investigation of one's own identity. Heather.
3: There's so many things. <laughs> um, okay, first let me just talk about just this pure subjective experience that you're sort of talking about as God. We- when we talk about consciousness, it's true. We we don't need language. We don't need to be able to call this a cup or a hand. Babies have it. It's pure subjective experience. It's feeling pain, seeing the color red. We don't even need a sense of self for it. Okay? So that's what we're talking about. We're talking about pure subjective experience. And we all have it. The question is, um, how can we get more of it? We experience the world via consciousness. Period. That's how we humans experience the world. So how do we get more of it? We can have different aspects of it. We can see it in a different way. We can have a deeper understanding. All that is great. But that doesn't mean that it exists outside side of us. And I can even give you that consciousness may be fundamental. It's a property of the universe. We have theories in consciousness, the integrated information theory of consciousness, that says any system that has a high degree of integrated information that's differentiated, integrated meaning it has an effect on each other, will have a property of consciousness. Yet it is still instantiated in matter. It means brains happen to be one of those systems, but other things that have a high degree of integrated information might have the property of consciousness. Oh, I can theories
1: even, of consciousness are in- consciousness alone. All right, I want to go to audience okay. questions at this point.
0: <laughs> um, and uh, again how this will work is if you raise your hand and stand up, please wait for the microphone to come to you so that you can be heard by people who are not in the hall tonight. Uh, tell us your name. In this case we actually would appreciate your full name. And then ask a question uh, that's that's on point and is going to move the debate forward. And right down front um, and there's a front row and the microphone's coming from all the way from the back of the hall. Uh, I think closer on your left-hand side. You can tell us your um, name, please.
5: Bonnie John from New York. Um,
4: To my ear, this side, uh, who is against, has reframed the question. So I ask the people for the motion, if it were, the more we evolve, the less we need consciousness, would you get up and go over there?
2: (laughs) That's a pretty clever question. I That's like a good, that. that. That is a good question. <laughs> no. Uh, I think the problem is... We are conscious. The word is more. too broad. I mean, we, we, you know, as Wittgenstein pointed out, we, just, you know, we, have, we only have language to express our words, uh, our thoughts between each other. So we look for synonyms. You know, consciousness is experience. It's the immeasurable potential. It's invisible. It's all modes of knowing. These, these are just different ways of saying the same thing. Uh, and it, so it doesn't really get us anywhere. There, there's no specific actionable points. Like, what do I do? So w- w- the, the, the motion on the table is, you know, what difference does it make? What, what, what does it matter? Uh, w- and, and, and so we have to have some definition of that, which is why I started off with the, uh, you know, survival and flourishing of sentient beings. So what does it take to do that? and now we have some idea about that. Now, if now I should say just parenthetically that I kind of went hard on religion, I know that the Quakers and Wilberforce advocated for the abolition of slavery and so on. There are, you know, certain individuals that helped the process along, but there biggest opponents were their fellow religious people, their fellow God believers. So it's not God itself that's going to get us there. It's some rational argument, some secular reasonable argument. So the fact that Christians sometimes say, well, I've reinterpreted Mark 3, 9, and Jesus really meant women should vote. Okay, fine. Uh, but but you're, you're getting there after the, the movement has already made its progress due to secular rational arguments. And I think your partner wants to join that.
3: Yeah, and I would say, you know, if we think, if you want to redefine consciousness is saying all of these things, compassion and being kind to others and doing things that are actually real in this world to help people. Again, you don't need the concept of God or higher spirit or something that happened before the Big Bang in order to do those things, in order to live um, helpful, kind lives, to make everybody's lives better. So in a sense, I don't think that the more we evolve, the more we need God in this definition as well, because we can find it in other ways. We can get better and improve humanity in other ways without having a, some either real or false belief system. Either way, we can be compassionate, we can have a deep understanding, we can think about the infinite, we can do the right thing, and we don't need God.
0: Okay, I do want to, let, the question wasn't put to the
1: other side, but I'd like to let you respond if you'd like to. We need God or consciousness to have a thought. We need God a consciousness to have insight, intuition, imagination, creativity, introspection. We need God to do science. The secular worldview with science has given us climate change, extinction of species, racism, bigotry, hatred, and modern technologies for destruction— Right now we are risking our extinction because that. because of a science that is incomplete a science that ignores the source of science which is consciousness.
4: You know I, can I just com- can I comment on this? Yeah, I, actually sir if you can wait and let a new. Uh, I just want to make one comment. You know, one thing that's hard about this conversation is that when we say what we're calling God as consciousness it doesn't necessarily oppose anything they're saying. Because science is a function in consciousness. Reason is a function in consciousness. I use science and technology all the time. I think science has done great things. That's not counter to my idea of consciousness. All I'm saying is it's also more than that. It's not only what we call objective, which, by the way, there's no such thing. All we mean by objective is less subjective. There are more people that, that agree on what this objective is. So I'm not opposed to anything they're saying. What I'm trying to re- do is reframe it so that we're not limited to only those ideas, but consciousness or God is much more than that and much more is possible than we already think is possible. Sir. Near front center.
0: Thank you. Uh, my name is Jerry Orstrom, and I hope that the next questioner is able to depart from our paradigm of consciousness because I am not able to do that. <laughs> uh, my question is for the side opposing the resolution, uh, and if uh, principally for Anoop. and if you'll bear with my premise for a moment, from a strictly scientific point of view, it was the Big Bang which gave rise to matter. And yet you've asserted that matter is derivative from consciousness so then what kind of consciousness therefore came into existence at the moment of the big bang given that there was no life from which the
4: matter derived how do you balance life so consciousness one of the things great question one of the things we're assuming here is that consciousness is a product of life And that's what I said earlier in the beginning. I think I said birth and death are opposed to each other, but life is unopposed. And here we could use consciousness again as a synonym for that. So again, by consciousness, I'm not saying that consciousness came into existence when we as humans or even when any sentient being came into existence. Just like in in a dream, all of the characters may die, but that doesn't mean that the dream itself has to die. So similarly, the Big Bang is a human construct. I'm not saying it didn't happen. What I'm saying is the way we perceive that Big Bang, whatever factors were involved when that Big Bang started, we're seeing that through a human mind's lens. What it actually was, we don't know. We know how we derive it through the human mind and let that be. So whatever that is, is. But what I'm saying, whatever it is, whatever concept we give it to it, that is still a concept of consciousness Not mine, not yours, not necessarily human, but it is still a concept in consciousness or some kind of form of consciousness, which we then humans call, oh, it was the Big Bang, and it was these factors involved.
3: Uh, Can I say something? I I mean, this is just a circular argument, because all you're saying is that... all you're saying is the only way we can know anything is via our subjective experience via our consciousness and therefore everything is flawed or you're saying therefore then consciousness is fundamental and that's all there is but you just I mean you can't say we can only know the big bang happened because it's subjective and therefore subjectivity occurred before the big bang or that's what made the big bang I mean it does, none of it makes sense and I am and also wondering where you're getting this knowledge from this grand knowledge that all of us don't seem to have it's like you're almost preaching it to us like oh please tell us what's the answer when I don't see where you're getting these answers
4: from. I'm getting it from the same place. I'm getting it from the same place. You're getting the idea that the brain is all there is, and it's from the brain that all this stuff occurs. Oh, so from objective scientific, scientific method? method, that's where
3: no. you're getting it from, because that's it where I'm from getting it from. Your it own from.
4: experience? No, you're not. You're getting it from consciousness first. In consciousness, you've
1: experienced a brain, and My then you've created way concepts. Out. The consciousness is, the is not a concept. Consciousness is the source of all concepts, including the Big Bang. We have a question from, um, from uh, a viewer on YouTube,
0: Ryan Sturm. This is a question for the team arguing for the motion, that the more we evolve, the less we need God. Seeing as God uh, in this debate is being defined subjectively, could you please speak to whether or not the necessity of God, in quotation marks, is actually a question on the necessity of subjective experience?
2: Well, I think what most... Professor. People in the Western world mean by God is an an omniscient, omnipotent uh, being that brought the universe into existence, uh, and and created us and loves us and created an afterlife and so forth. That's kind of the standard version of that, and the belief in that is really what we're talking about. Do do we need Dan Dennett calls this belief in belief? Do we need to believe that people should believe because this is good for society? No, I pretty strongly made that case. Whether there really is such a God is a separate debate. Uh, and so but then if you just broaden it and say well it's just consciousness well all of this that we're just repeating what I call the weak uh, consciousness principle by definition it's just circular it's to be conscious to experience consciousness you have to be conscious yeah no, no kidding <laughs> uh, as opposed to what <laughs> where else would the concepts come from that we have of the big bang of course they come from our brain so uh, that, that, that hasn't that hasn't advanced us any further to knowing something more about it okay another question um,
0: from uh, forth from the back on the aisle I'm, I'm pointing to you if you could stand up ma'am and uh, yep uh, uh, that's, you're the right person, thank you
6: well thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to ask your question uh, I am Nish Amarnath. I'm a journalist writer and I'm going to be rather futuristic at the moment. So uh, I have read various studies and, uh, uh, you know, even papers saying, uh, you know, sort of trying to predict how the human race would behave and look and function 100 to 500 to even 1,000 years from now. Uh, and I'm citing professors from the London School of Economics and so on, where you know, it is believed that the majority of the human race would be more synthetic, more abiological than biological, and so on and so forth. So in that context against that backdrop, uh, do you feel that consciousness would become more fragmented and more of a subjective experience than being a component of can, a can, universal. Can I?
0: Can I? I I'm, 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 I'm tempting to get us away from again arguing the competing metaphysics because I think, first of all, we've reached an impasse on that. I, I'm, I, I, I mean, you two can meditate again and work <laughs> it out. But, but I, <laughs> I, I, I would want to know if you can phrase your question in terms of. Uh, this question that we 're actually debating tonight, so would you be willing to and, and if not i don 't want to put words in your mouth, but would you be willing to say, in terms of this evolution, if we look five hundred years down the road from where we are today would would we be in a situation where this team is their point has been proven, that the less we need God will be proven, or that this team would have their point proven? That well, I
6: guess that's my question. You know, as okay. we evolve, as we become, uh, you know, less real versions of ourselves, so to speak, by way of, you know, possibly being, becoming more abiological, more synthetic, or multi-planetary species, and so yeah.
0: on. Okay, I, 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 yeah. I need to cut you off just so that we can get as many questions in as possible, but I, want to, I do want to take the point that I think you're making first to the side arguing for the motion. I'm guessing that your point of view is that since evolution of the species and civilization does not impact on the necessity of God, that 500 years from now, you still don't think that things will have evolved to the point where God
1: is more or less necessary than today. We need to understand who wants to understand. We need to understand the nature of understanding. You know, when you propose I'm doing neuroscience, who or what is doing neuroscience I asked Michael the other day, what's a thought? He said, it's an electrochemical activity here, which means that the electro, which is a thought in itself, right? So the electrochemical activity here is making an existential statement about itself, which is totally ridiculous. Uh,
3: So, you know, I think.
1: Heather, how totally ridiculous. Well, <laughs>
3: we have these, these huge egos, and we think consciousness is so important. But actually, when you really look at it, most of what's happening that's affecting our behavior, the decisions we're making, and even helping us survive is happening outside of awareness, unconsciously. Okay? And that's what much of the brain is doing. I'm actually more interested in the neural basis of these unconscious processes. And I think as we evolve, it's inevitable that, unless we kill ourselves first, hopefully we don't, that in 500 years we're going to start integrating with technology, we're going to have neuroprosthetics, or increase our ability to have memory capacity, need for sleep, maybe make our dreams more vivid. We can actually record from your brain and see what you're dreaming. Now, you know, we can see these images. It all is happening in the brain, as far as we can see. But we don't even need consciousness. I, you know, I think that ultimately, if the world, the machines might take over, and maybe everything's just running on autopilot. But the fact that we put so much uh, emphasis on this one little bit of the way that we experience the world, I think, is very egotistical.
0: I I refer everyone to our debate from a few years ago. Beware the promise of artificial intelligence.
1: (laughs) Heather, I I started by saying that consciousness is all modes of knowing and experience in all sentient beings, not we. Okay, what do you mean by the word we, by the way? When you say the word I, who or what are you referring to?
3: Uh, a collection of my experiences over time. I don't even think there's a real me. I think the, the concept of me is another invention of my brain and it can change and I can knock it out in people where they have no sense of self. So I'll give you that. There is no I. I'm a collection of molecules that organize itself in such a way like Carl Sagan said, you know, we are the who cosmos up, way to who, know
1: itself. Who or what came up with the construct molecules?
3: I, I'm not going to get into this debate, but it's basically... I think, basically it, I
1: think a sub- it was Ezra molecule. Yeah. <laughs> It's, all, the in only miraculous. way I can
3: know the world is through my subjective experience.
2: Yeah, we're just back to where we were. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Okay. Yeah. <laughs> right down in the frontier. If anybody's upstairs, I'm afraid we don't, if you're raising hands, I can't see you and we don't have mics up there. But if you want to come downstairs, I'll try to get you in.
7: I have a question. My, my name is Francesca here in New York. I have a question for you either and generally, but also specifically to you. At the beginning of this um, debate, you know, I was struck by um, when you said your life story, and you also said, I'm not here debating the existence of God, but I'm actually, we're, we're here questioning the need, our need for God. Mm-hmm. So I know we're using a lot the word consciousness, and it seems we're getting a little stuck on that, maybe in the debate. I, I just wanted to ask you something, which is, you said, like... And you you even I don't know, you know, you may have even said, look, I am actually I I don't debate the existence of God, you know. And I don't even know your definition of God, but what I what I sensed there it was like something bigger, something mysterious, something which is the source I, Again, I'm sorry oh, to I, apologize, but so in the question. So yeah. the question is from you that you're saying whatever you call God which is obviously mm-hmm. not the belief of whatever you call God, do you actually think that in your own evolution in life and the future human being and species,
0: mm-hmm.
7: would they need more of that? I you think know? I get what she's saying. So, you see what I'm saying? So, I'm saying I, so- what
3: I... I, so what I- well, I was very sort of agnostic in the sense that I am open to the possibility that there's something other that's greater than what I can perceive with my senses. We're given these feeble little brains, right? You know, if you think of the grandeur of the universe and how tiny the earth is, and then my brain, that little piece of three-pound piece of matter, that's all I have to try to comprehend all this. And I think that's a total feeble mechanism. There's definitely things in this universe that I will never be able to understand, and I'm open to that. If you want to call that God, that's fine. But if we're talking about as the human species, a very feeble species, very flawed, evolves, I don't think that even just pretending to know something that we don't know whether it exists or not helps us in our evolution in terms of getting along, in terms of practical things, in terms of ending hunger and poverty and disease and and all these things. That belief in God whether it exists or not isn't really fundamental to help us evolve as a species.
0: Another question right down here. sir.
8: So I hope this question for the opposition will cut through the metaphysical impasse. Um, So you're defining God as consciousness and ultimately all of reality. It's kind of hard to argue against consciousness and reality. So um, let's go with that and say... Uh, within that consciousness, there's a component or a concept of God uh, as sort of a deity in Christianity or Islam or uh, Judaism, what most people think of as God, probably. Um, Do you think we need less of that?
1: Well, if you look at our longings and aspirations for truth, for love for compassion for joy for equanimity for transcendence then all these deities are symbolic manifestations of that aspiration in human consciousness so they have a role you know when i th- when i think of a higher being uh, as an idol krishna or uh, shiva or maheshwara or whatever Actually, that's a symbolic representation of a longing for the inseparability of existence where there is no separation, and automatically there's the emergence of platonic values such as um, love.
0: Um, Right over by the edge against the wall over there. Thanks. Thanks.
5: Hi, thank you. I'm J.P. Berlin. And so I think going back to that last question, the, the way the majority of people experience God is through religion, through a practice, like as you had mentioned, yoga, but it's still experienced through a certain way. Now, as we evolve and technology becomes more and more part of our lives, perhaps the idea of God and religion could change too. So, first of all, uh, do you think that ideas like techno-humanism and bringing in technology to our concept of God is good or bad, and whether that, that's needed? and also, who controls that? because um, what, do you mean, you know, what do you mean who controls that? Well, it, there's the Pope and Christianity, there's you know religious leaders, the Ayatollah, the Buddha, but uh, who controls that? In I, a further sir, sense, in technology. I, I, with
0: respect, I'm going I'm to pass on your question because I, I think we've heard both sides basically say that they don't defend those models of religion. But, Although, but what
5: about technology involved in our own understanding of God and religion? How would you... So, so does that bring us further? Then as we use more technology and we can get better understanding of ourselves and God, as the opposition said... Maybe I, again, I think it's an, actually that. a fair
0: illustration of the, of the point that this side has been making from the beginning, that the, the advancement of knowledge through technology, enlightenment, etc., is is obviating the necessity for God. And the other side just disagrees. So I think we would have a repetition of where we've been. But, but, but thank, you, you, thank you for the question. I, I'm, I'm going to pass on the question, sir. Um, right down in the front here. Uh, uh, Michael, come to you. And if you could stand up when it comes. Stand up.
5: Hi,
6: I'm Carrie Sheffield from New York, um,
2: and uh, Deepak said something interesting uh, about how some of the the worst horrors in human history have come uh, because of the rejection of God, uh, and and you, Michael, you you talked about. Um, secular societies as, as, you know, paradise on earth. But the Wall Street Journal ran a a really uh, telling op-ed recently about the 100th anniversary of the Soviet Revolution uh, and how, you know, not only Soviet um, experience, but also communism in China. Basically, 100 years and 100 million deaths by regimes that repress religion, that repress the notion of God, that repress human expression as it relates Mm -hmm. to thinking about God. So how would you respond to that? and then also I'm going to
0: stop you at that one oh. question is good and thank you for some recognizable facts uh. that you brought <laughs> into the conversation yay yeah. Michael thank you for your question
2: no, I, I, I have to keep it one question. Yeah, so, so Thank the, the, the whole you know, Marxist-Leninist uh, movement was a faux religion in, in essence. They didn't do these things in the name of atheism. Atheism isn't even a thing to be. It's just lack of belief in God, full stop. They believed in certain economic doctrines uh, and ideological doctrines that were, in fact, quite anti-Enlightenment. Uh, not at all in favor of equal rights and, and free speech and all the things that we think of uh, when we think of civil liberties and civil rights. They were quite against that. So uh, actually, your, your example is one I make uh, it, it, to show how what happens when you go off the rails of these core principles of enlightenment values, particularly rights. I, I w- I'm wondering, Anoop, do you feel that that question gave some evidence for your side?
0: Helps make your case?
4: You know, I think if you hold a belief too strongly without investigating it, it doesn't matter what the belief is. You can believe in a scientific principle. You can believe in a religious principle. It can have nothing to do. It can be artistic. But if we're just believing things without doing some kind of research, whether I think we disagree on what qualifies as research, that's fair, but I think we both agree on that. So I think, you know, whatever side you're on, if it's an uninvestigated belief and we're holding it tightly, that's going to lead to problems. I haven't called
0: from anybody near the, the back for a while, so did somebody come downstairs? Come on down uh, into the more lit area. Walk into the light, sir. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. We can see you then. Thank
5: you. Hi. So my name is Tulip Ruddy. I'm a Xavier High School student, and so my question is specifically to the opposition. Um, so we've spoken a lot about, or you've spoken a lot about consciousness, and less of it is in, if I'm understanding this correctly, which... Debatable. But um, if consciousness, it's not necessarily an individual perception, rather something that we're all involved in, is, that, is and God is consciousness, which is what you claimed. Um, so is, is specifically in reference to the motion, do we need, is there more of a need for God, or is this simply just a continuum? Because understanding
0: okay, from... Okay, you, got, you, you got to the question. There was yeah, a question yeah. mark there. So let's let let's, let's <laughs> Deepak take that, need
1: We need to understand ourselves as consciousness in order to evolve. Because every other identity you have, whether it's of the body, of the mind, or anything else, is a provisional identity. The only true identity that you have is the awareness in which you're experiencing your body, your mind, and everything else. So in order to progress, in order to create even AI, artificial intelligence, augmented reality, we need to understand this reality which is a virtual reality to begin with?
0: Okay. <laughs> um, I, I, yeah, write down uh, in the red in the red sweater. Thanks.
6: Oh.
0: What that? Sorry, what? Hmm? Yeah. Sorry. Pardon me. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh, for or for sake. Ma'am, would you be willing for to yield
0: sake. to some guy who I'm told has had his hand up from the very beginning? <laughs> this had better be a, a hand up from the beginning worthy
8: question. <laughs> and, and please uh, go to the red sweater after me. I feel bad. Um, so uh, my name is Keith Camito from the nonprofit Lifespan.io. So I want to focus this on the motion because I do think we are uh, each other a little bit. You so, think? Uh, yeah. <laughs> We're working with basically, broadly speaking, two different definitions of, da- of God here. Over here, we're talking about God as sort of a societal tool and how that might not be great and all the flaws with it. And over here, I it's think... A pra- it's a pragmatic yeah. explanation of God. Okay. And over here, there, there is... Uh, it's more of a discussion, if I'm understanding this right, um, of there may, there may be a limit of what is in the sphere of human scientific knowledge in which, you know, like consciousness... God may be more than that, and we are a subset of it. My question, to focus it on the motion, is assuming that definition, that there's something outside, potentially, of human reasoning, is that idea societally societally useful in the sense of inspiration and the sublime and that sort of thing?
0: I love that question.
3: Thank you.
8: That's, that's a
1: question more aimed to this side, I think. So why don't you take that? Do you want to take that, Deepak? Absolutely. In order to investigate the nature of reality, you have to ask who or what wants to know that. Science is very good. It's a method of investigation, but it's half the equation. Who or what is doing the science? So science is about the world out there, and what we call spirituality or consciousness or God is that which is doing the science. You need both. Otherwise, we are a fragmented world, a fragmented science that leads to problems. It leads to problems because we look at science as there's me and there's the rest of the universe. But actually, that which I call my me is also part of the wholeness. You know, I, I went to high school on
0: 84th Street, it was a Jesuit high school, and um, the Jesuits drove us crazy by answering every question with a question. (laughs) Are are you actually a Jesuit? (laughs) I I went to a Jesuit school. Did you? Yeah. (laughs) And that concludes round two of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate, where our motion is, the more we evolve, the less we need God. And now we move on to round three, and in round three we have closing statements by each debater in turn. To make her closing statement, please welcome once again cognitive neuroscientist Heather Berlin.
3: Uh. Okay, so can we have a sense of purpose without God? And for me as a scientist, that's not hard to answer. The excitement of discovery... The story of how we humans have used reason and science to illuminate the universe around us while improving the quality of life for billions of people. That story is far more inspiring than any story told in a religious text or here on this stage. And that story has the benefit of evidence behind it. It has the benefit of perhaps being true at least to the best of our knowledge. The fact is people do find other sources of meaning and purpose when they lose their sense of religion or even God. Atheists as a group are not wallowing in depression or existential angst, and they're no more likely to behave immorally than believers are. And we scientists are enthusiastic, engaged, and optimistic about the real world benefits our work is generating. For instance, the UN Sustainability Goals, none of which require a belief in God, include ending hunger and poverty, providing education and clean water for everyone, protecting the environment, reducing inequality. If that's not a sense of purpose, I don't know what is. And insofar as competing visions of God or what God is is, are still a motive for violence in the world or for oppressing women, homosexuals, or non-believers, then belief in God is currently holding us back. Now, many people still believe in God, and they need God in their lives, and that's okay. But that's not the motion you're being asked to vote on. The motion isn't the less of each of us needs God. The motion is the less we need God, we as a human species, all of us together. And I, I'm sympathetic to the comfort that belief in God can give people, and I wouldn't be arrogant to claim that everyone needs that comfort, especially when more and more people clearly do not. It's an empirical fact that we humans, on average, need God less than we used to for explanations, for community, and for comfort. And if you agree, or even if you think, the modern world has diminished any one of the needs that God has once filled, then logically, the motion is correct. We need God less. And I urge you to vote for the motion.
0: Thank you, Heather Berlin. And that motion, again, the more we evolve, the less we need God. And making his closing statement, Deepak Chopra, integrative medicine advocate and founder of the Chopra Foundation. Ladies and gentlemen, again, Deepak Chopra.
1: So I'd like to start with two quotes, one from uh, Wittgenstein that Michael Schirmer quoted. Wittgenstein said, we are asleep. Our life is a dream. But once in a while, we wake up enough to know that we are dreaming. The second quote is from the Buddha, who said, This lifetime of ours is transient as autumn clouds. To watch the birth and death of beings is like looking at the movements of a dance. A lifetime is like a flash of lightning in the sky, rushing by like a torrent down a steep mountain. So, my friends, I ask you, what happened to your childhood? It's gone. What happened to this morning? It's gone. What happened to 5 minutes ago? It's gone. What happened to 1 second ago? It's gone. Everything that we think of as the past, the big bang, it's a blurred concept with mathematical imagination in human consciousness. The past doesn't exist. The future doesn't exist. And that which we call now moves on before you can grasp it. So I'm going to ask you to do just one thing right now. As you're listening to me, just turn your attention to that which is listening. This presence is awareness. And you need this presence to evolve, to do science, to do any other investigation. Wake up. Thank you,
0: Deepak Chopra. The motion again, the more we evolve, the less we need God. And here making his closing statement in support of the motion, Michael Shermer,
2: publisher of Skeptic Magazine. Michael Shermer. Well, I think, I think our side made a pretty compelling case that the more we evolve, the the less we need God. So let me take a crack at our questioners. uh, Where are we going to be in 500 years? Now, uh, with the proviso that the super forecasters after five years predictions fall to randomness. So uh, this is the best I can do. Um, I think what we've been experiencing over the last several centuries will continue. That is the expansion of the moral sphere to include more sentient beings, more of our own species as deserving of equal rights and equal treatment. When I wrote my Book on this, The Moral Arc in 2015. Uh, gay, the gay marriage thing hadn't yet been settled. That's done. We could tick that box. Next, I think, probably will be animal rights. And then, possibly, probably within a century or two, that of uh, rights for AI, for intelligent beings, for data, so to speak. Um, and, you know, beyond that, it's hard to say. Uh, I think the. Um, The idea of consciousness, uh, if if we use it in the terms like the civil rights activists did, consciousness raising, what does that mean? We're expanding our consciousness to include the perspective of other people. What would it feel like if I was treated that way? So to this extent, uh, something like the Golden Rule, which was discovered long before any organized religions it's a principle of reciprocal altruism and evolutionary theory. It makes perfect sense that I have to make my case for you to treat me the way I would want, for me to treat you the way I would want you to treat me. This is about as fundamental of human psychology as it gets. And I think that's what we've been getting better at over the centuries. And despite the little down ticks we have occasionally of negative things that make the news, the good news follow the trend lines, not the headlines, continues to go. Uh, in our own time and will continue for centuries to come. I think that the, the, the fastest-growing religious group in the world are the nuns, the people that have no religious affiliation, and atheism is growing and so on. I think we don't need that. The tools, the things that we call religion and belief in God are actually just certain tools. We need love and family and meaningful work and, and, and productivity and a, and, a, and a basic necessities of life. And once we have those, we don't need the superstitions from our Bronze Age ancestors. Thank you. Thank you, Michael Shermer. The motion, the more we evolve, the less we need God. Here to make his closing statement
0: against the motion, Anoop Kumar, emergency physician, author of Michelangelo's Medicine. Ladies
4: and gentlemen, again, Anup Kumar. You know, I had some closing remarks prepared, but seeing the nature of the conversation, I feel like I have to say something else. I'm not sure what that is yet. Because... I think most of us would agree that we're kind of talking past each other. We're offering different worldviews, and how can we bring that together? You know, fundamentally, I don't know if we can, and maybe that's part of the debate, is to say that too. Um, I think the way that we experience the world, I think most of us would agree on this, the way that we experience the world and ourselves is entirely dependent on our minds. And we can say brains, I don't have a problem with saying that too. The way we experience ourselves is dependent on our minds and our brains. So if we're having fundamentally different experiences, how do we capture that? How do we come together on that? What I would say is that each of us has a sense of identity that is extremely fickle. When we dream, our identity shifts from this character to that character. When we sleep, our identity disappears. And what we're saying is that this identity can become more and more subtle. It can delocalize. And as it does, what we're calling the ultimate aspect of that, the end point of that, perhaps, is consciousness. That's what we're calling as God. And maybe we just differ on that, and that's okay. However, if you, if you agree that this sense of identity is something that's constantly changing, that can become more subtle, and ultimately, even theoretically, can be boundless, can be infinite, then that is you. That is you. And the more we evolve, the more we need to recognize that. That's why I urge you to vote against the motion. The more we evolve, the more we need to understand the infinite. Thank you, Anup Kumar, And that concludes closing statements. And now it's
0: time to learn which side you believe has argued the best. We're going to ask you again to vote uh, using your cell phone. Go to the same website. Uh, I, same URL, iq2us.org forward slash vote to cast your second vote. The instructions are on your screen uh, and in the program. And while that's happening, the first thing I want to say is um, uh, this was a challenging debate. There's no question about it. Um, it was really fascinating and interesting. And one of the more interesting and fascinating things was the, uh, the respect in which each side held the other, uh, actually. Um, I only heard the word ridiculous once. And... It, ca- it came from my Jesuit-educated friend here, uh, and, and also I just want to—I want to say—in um, in your opening statements, you made a joke that you are God, and now I realize you weren't kidding. I, mean, <laughs> <laughs> I say everybody is God in drag. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I, I want to congratulate the, de- the debaters for the way they conducted themselves because it was really good. So thank thank you. you for that. Thank
2: you.
0: And I, I'm. I'm I'm curious, as the, as the evening unfolded, did you hear, did any of you hear from your opponents? And I'll, I'll start with you, Heather. The, okay. the answer does not have to be a kumbaya yes. I just want to know, did you hear anything from your opponents that, that made you, in fact, think twice? I, I actually thought that I heard you in the course of the evening, you know, make some concessions to some points that, that they made. But maybe I'm wrong.
3: Um. I mean, these are things that I've thought about before. Yeah. You know, If I can expand my consciousness and it can be outside of my body and I can be one with everything, that would be fantastic. It sounds great. I love that idea. I'm not against it. Um, but as far as I know and the years of people trying to understand this and using consciousness, we've had it the whole time, right? Uh, we haven't yet come to any... Not even a shred of evidence.
0: So no, the, no. the answer is no. I, mean, I
3: wish, I wish, okay, I want it, enough. but it's unfortunate that we just haven't gotten there yet. And I hope that we will at some point, but I just
1: okay don't um, see the from the other side. How about you, Deepa? How many people in this room have experienced transcendence or oneness? Yeah. Just for the people who
0: are not able to see, and that's I'd an say experience a of, the of your brain. Yeah. yeah.
3: yeah that's what percent of your brain? Ten. Mm-hmm.
0: The uh, 12 <laughs> 12. I, yes, I'm going for 12 also. How about you, Anoop? Did you hear anything in the evening that made you think twice about your position?
4: Yeah, I did. You know, the big thing that I see when I, when I hear many of the things you're saying, I don't want to disagree. You know, I don't, it, it feels weird to feel like I'm against this because I'm not, I don't feel like In my own heart of hearts, I don't feel like I'm disagreeing with most of what you're... There are some things I clearly disagree with, but I don't really feel like I'm disagreeing with most of it. I'm just seeing it in a different frame. It's in a different context to me. So I appreciate all the arguments about the brain being necessary and then the brain seems to produce concepts. I get all that.
2: I felt that same way as well. Um, I see it in a different light now. How about you, Michael? Yeah, I think um, the idea that... um, consciousness through uh, discovery of consciousness through say meditation is an excellent technology or tool uh, for understanding yourself better understanding other people's better perhaps even this consciousness raising thing I was talking about um, I I, I, I don't think you need any of the metaphysical um, backdrop to get the benefits of the technologies or tools you're proposing and to that extent, I think if everybody meditated instead of whatever they do in Vegas or whatever that <laughs> causes people to go crazy, that would be good. Uh, All right, you know. All right. I, the other thing I want to do is I want to thank everybody who asked
0: questions, including the people whose questions I passed on. It takes a lot of nerve to get up and do that. Uh, and there's no disgrace, in, I, don't, I feel, in having me pass. And it may just be that maybe I didn't understand your question. Um, so uh, thank you for everybody who got up and did that. And the gentleman who was asking about technology, I've been noodling on that. And, uh, and I'm thinking maybe you want to chat with the debaters afterwards. Come up and, and do that. A little bit of, a little bit about Intelligence Squared right now. The first thing, you met Clea Chang last night uh, th- tonight when she came out on the stage and, uh, and talked to you through the voting. She's our uh, chief operating officer, and we had some... Very, very uh, exciting uh, news about her. Um, This week, she was honored as one of Crane's top 40 under 40 for 2018. (laughs) And uh, I I would do the, Cleo, come on out here. But she's actually working on uh, on tabulating the vote. But she... um, uh, she stepped into this role uh, just about this time last year, and this organization has been transformed since then. Uh, we are doing more debates with great debaters and reaching more people than ever before. So, Claire, backstage, wherever you are, thank you very, very much for that. I also want to thank... I want to thank... Um, Two people who are not here tonight: uh, our chairman and founders, Robert Rosencrantz and, and co-founder uh, Alexandra Monroe. Uh, I'm sure they're going to be watching the live stream, and uh, we we really appreciate their support. And also, this, yeah, thank you for that. And. Um the support of everybody, uh, who, who there are a lot of people who are supporting Intelligence Squared U.S., and we would like to increase that number. For those of you who don't know, we operate as a uh, philanthropy, and we rely on donations. And uh, uh, I know that many of you bought tickets, and that helps, but if you liked what you saw, would like to see more of this, we are working on growing, we're growing successfully, but we need um, more support, and there is a way for you to uh, contribute to us through, by going through our app again, and uh, and you'll find ways to donate, and we would greatly, uh, greatly appreciate to keep that going. Uh, also, I want to launch, uh, announce the launch of a program called Up for Debate. Uh, it's our new television series. It airs on Sunday mornings on the Newsy Network. Uh, Newsy is not on every cable system yet, but I believe it's in New York. I might be told in my ear in just a second. Um, This show is the result of our partnership with Newsy, and it means that we're now bringing these debates to that television audience uh, of potentially 30 million households every week. I want to let you know about our upcoming debates. You can tune in. Uh, You probably won't get to the next one because it's in Chicago. Um, We're going to be debating net neutrality with Mitchell Baker, who is the chairwoman of the Mozilla Corporation, along with a former FCC chairman named Tom Wheeler, uh, Reasons Nick Gillespie. Mm-hmm. Is Nick here tonight by any chance? No? no? Okay, because this sounds like <laughs> it would have been like right up his alley. Um, and former FCC chief economist Michael Katz. Then we're going to be back here in New York for a debate on Bitcoin. And that's going to have Overstock CEO Patrick Brine, venture capitalist Tim Draper, law professor Eric Posner, and the Financial Times Jillian Tett. You get more information on everything that we're doing on our website, iq2us.org. So I'm just waiting for the results to come, and I am told that they, they have come in. Uh, thanks to technology, I have them here. So. And thanks to technology, the screen just went off on me. <laughs> oh, I got it back which in itself is a miracle. So remember how we do this. It's the difference between the first and the second vote that determines our winners. Our motion is this. The more we evolve, the less we need God. In the first vote, 47% of you agreed with the motion. 31% of you were against the motion. 22% were undecided. Those are the first results. In the second result, the team arguing for the motion... The more we evolve, the less we need God. Their first vote was 47%. Their second vote was 67%. They picked up 20 percentage points. That's the number to beat. The team against the motion, their first vote was 31%. Their second vote was 26%. They lost five percentage points. That means the debate goes to the team arguing in favor of the motion. The more we evolve, the less we need God. Our congratulations to them. Thank you for me, John Donvan. And Intelligence Squared US, we'll see you next time. Thank you, everyone. Um, um, Ladies from the Spiritual Book Club, where are you? Did you have a good time? All right, we did. Thank
2: you, everybody, very much.